As we come to God's word this morning, let us begin with prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, we approach your word this day with fear and trembling because we know it has power and we know we need to be changed. So speak to us again. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we are reading from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in the very beginning of uh, Jesus' ministry in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Listen to the word of God. When Jesus came to Nazareth, when he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him. And they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. At this point in the worship service, I am about to do something strange. And yes, it's a bit radical. The problem is you've seen preachers do this so often that you no longer see it as strange or radical. You see, I'm standing here this morning about to lead us into a drastic, countercultural, subversive activity. I'm about to preach the gospel. Not long ago, someone asked me, you know, after all these years, 40 years of preaching, is it easier? Is it easier to get up on Sunday morning and begin the process of opening up the Word of God? And you know what? It's not getting any easier. And you know why? Because the longer I preach, the more I realize the impact and the life-changing potential of the gospel. The longer I preach, the more I realize that the sermon isn't about nice phrases and profound thoughts kind of strung together with funny stories. The longer I preach, the more I realize that what happens during this part of the service we call the sermon is nothing less than the risky business of opening ourselves to the intrusive, challenging word of God. And I also have come to realize that what happens during the sermon is a lot less to do with my thoughts and nicely laid out words and everything to do with the power and the grace of God's word. So here we are, Sunday after Sunday, taking the risk as we read from the Bible and then reflect on the Bible, the risk that we might be challenged or confronted taking the risk that the gospel will challenge our stands, our thoughts, our actions, taking the risk, as Pastor Emily said last week, that we might be changed. 
And that's exactly what happened to those poor, faithful Jews gathered in Nazareth in Luke's gospel. There they were, all comfortable like we are in their synagogue, about to listen to their hometown boy. He'd been doing good things around and he'd come home and and there they were. They handed him the scroll and they said to him, here son, read. Read these ancient words from scripture. And then they waited eagerly to hear those comforting words of God that they knew well from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he did. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to the congregation? Maybe God has heard our prayers. Maybe God is sending this messenger to come and to do something for us, to run out the Romans, to set things right. What good news. Luke's gospel says they all spoke well of him. They loved his words. They even said, oh, this is Joseph's son, my, my. But here's the problem. Jesus wasn't in the synagogue that day to make people feel good, was he? No, he went to Nazareth to open God's word, God's ancient word from the prophet Isaiah. And opening God's word, allowing God's word to speak, well, that's risky business. And here's what happened as Jesus began to preach. And he said, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heavens and Uh, were shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine in our land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. And there were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, except Naaman the Syrian. Now when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage, They got up, they drove him out of the town, they led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, that they might hurl him off the cliff. Through Jesus, the ancient word of God speaks, and the people of Nazareth are confronted and challenged. Remember Elijah and Elisha, says Jesus. Remember that God didn't always come to the expected people in the expected way. So why should you believe that God's salvation, God's activity, God's favor rest on you? Just because you're my hometown, just because you're children of Abraham? You see, Jesus' sermon questions their assumptions about the Messiah, their assumptions about God's favor and what God might be up to. And before you know it, The good citizens of Nazareth, they are an angry mob. Who is he to talk to us this way? Why won't he do any of those great things he did in Capernaum for us? How dare he insinuate that God's good news might be for people other than us? That's the way the gospel works, you know. At its best... When we have ears to hear and the spirit is at work, it verbally assaults us as our ears are open. 
Now, not everyone understands this, you know. In fact, most people, if you were to ask them, they would say that a sermon consists of nothing but words, just little words. And most people, if you ask them, would say, the Bible, well, it's just print. It's just black ink on white pages. So what power can little old words have, right? Well, tell that to two people who stand up and say to each other, I do. No power in words. With those little words, I do, a whole new world is created, a world that didn't exist before. Or tell that to someone who receives these words, your cancer test is negative, you are cancer free. That's a whole new world too. Or just words like, I love you, spoken by the right person at the right time, words do matter. They do create meaning, they do have power. Words can and do make a difference in our lives, and if human words can be that powerful, then try and fathom with me the power of the word eternal, the moving, transforming, ancient word of God, through whom God said, let there be light, and brought creation into being, through whom God formed and shaped and saved the ancient people Israel, through whom God brought redemption in Jesus Christ. And through whom, by the power of the Spirit, we are still confronted, challenged, and changed. You see, my friends, Jesus is showing us that there is no expiration date on the ancient word of God. The same word that transformed ancient Israel, that brought us redemption in Jesus, it moves and speaks, confronts and changes us and our world today. In August of 1963, a quarter of a million people gathered for a march on Washington, a march to protest racial segregation in our country. There were 10 speakers that day, 10, from all kinds of backgrounds and traditions, so many words, so many words spoken in a peaceful protest. Words are actually urging the passage of a civil rights bill that was stalled in Congress. Imagine that, a civil rights bill stalled in Congress. But only one of those speeches came to be known as a signature moment in the civil rights movement of our country. Only one of those speeches is still memorized word by word by school children and Sunday school classes in some American communities. It's the I Have a Dream speech of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This weekend, as we celebrate Dr. King's life and legacy, I challenge you to read that speech on the internet or to watch it in an old newsreel on YouTube. It won't take you very long, it's 1,400 words maybe 10 minutes. History books speak of the speech this way. Weaving in references to the country's founding father and the Bible, King used universal themes to depict the struggles of African Americans before closing with an improvised riff 
on his dreams of equality. The eloquent speech was immediately recognized as a highlight of the successful protest. All of this is true, but you know what else is true? That day, Dr. King let scripture speak. Dr. King relied on the ancient word of God to work on that audience and eventually to work on the soul of this country. Let me show you what I mean. At the beginning of the speech, toward the beginning, Dr. King said, we can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating whites only. No, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. The ancient word of God from Amos. And then toward the end of his speech, Dr. King said, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain made low, the rough places will be made plain, the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith I go back to the south with. And with this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we'll be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. Every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low and the rough places will be made plain, the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together. The ancient word of God from the prophet Isaiah. Friends, the ancient word of God speaks and has power. It spoke on that hot day in August in 1963, and my friends, it still speaks today. It continues to challenge the church to move into the community, to work for justice and equality, to show compassion. And, and here's the scary part, the ancient word still challenges each one of us. It challenges those of us who are comfortable and set in our ways. It challenges those of us who are wise and think we have it all figured out. It challenges those of us who think we will never get our act together and God doesn't have anything to do with us. It challenges those of us who think we're too old and it's too late to make a change. By the power of God's spirit, God's ancient word speaks into our lives. And it speaks forgiveness and reconciliation. It speaks of loving the unlovable. It speaks of starting something new and challenging ourselves as disciples of Christ. It demands our obedience, our attention, and our devotion because we are God's children. Jesus stood up that day in Nazareth. He unrolled the scroll and he began to read. And the ancient word of God was unleashed in a new way, challenging the hearers, calling them to greater faithfulness and greater love. 
and the people of Nazareth, they had a choice. And the word of God still works that way. And we still have some choice. Every time the Bible is opened, the adventure begins. And the word of God is given freedom to roam about in our lives, to have its way with us. That's why we're beginning this year here at WHBC by reading a little bit of the Gospel of Luke every day so that God's word can have its way with you and with me and with our blessed community. Friends, we are guided by the word of God, we are sustained by the word of God, but we also must allow the ancient word of God to intrude, to interrupt, and to reshape our lives day after day, week after week, year after year, because as long as we are on this earth, God's ancient word has the ability, has the power to work on us. No matter how pleased we are with ourselves, no matter how limited we might feel, or no matter the obstacle, God isn't done with us yet. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your ancient word, which always comes fresh and new and powerful into our lives and into our situations. Open us now that as you speak, as you challenge, as you call us, we might be bold to answer, quick to follow. In Jesus' name. Amen.